0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the gospel of luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37. on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test jesus teacher he asked what must i do to inherit eternal life what is written in the law he replied how do you read it he answered love the lord your god with all your heart The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Today we do conclude our winter worship series, The Gospel According to Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian pastor, and he began filming Mr. Rogers' neighborhood in 1968 because he was frustrated with children's programming at the time and he wanted to do something about it. So, for two and a half decades and over 800 episodes, Mr. Rogers used television to nurture those who would join him as his neighbor. Fred Rogers was an ordained minister, but he was no televangelist, and he never tried to impose his beliefs on anyone, but behind the cardigans was a man of deep faith. Using puppets rather than a pulpit, he preached a message of inherent worth and unconditional love to his young viewers. He embodied the gospel of Jesus Christ in every one of his episodes. So during this series, we have taken a look at those biblical themes and lessons that he shared both on his show and exemplified in his life. And I know I am thankful for the example that Fred Rogers has shown us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that in these moments your spirit might be felt, your hope experienced, and the challenge of your good news declared. Calm our minds and open our ears so that we may hear your voice speaking to us, that we truly may be transformed by you. Amen. When Fred Rogers was a boy, he would hear about something scary, and his mother would tell him, Always look for the people who are helping. You'll always find somebody who is trying to help. I know many of us have heard this statement before. And these were the words of a mom who was trying to guide her scared son, a child who wasn't able to do much in the wake of this bad news he heard. But we here are not children anymore. And while as adults we can still find hope in seeing the helpers around us, we, more importantly, are called to be the helpers. In today's scripture that Dana read for us, an expert in Jewish scripture asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This inheritance that he's talking about here was the reward that was promised to God's covenantal people. God had promised to make them a great people, to bless them and to give them land, but that inheritance had been continually pushed to the future. Until When this scripture is is based, when this Jewish expert is challenging Jesus, the inheritance at that time was connected to the blessings of the age to come. So basically, here it means this inheritance means eternal life or life in God's kingdom. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks. And Jesus responds to the man with his own question What is written in the law? As if to imply, well, isn't your answer to your question written in scriptures? And, and aren't you actually an expert in these scriptures? So shouldn't you know? How do you read it? And the expert answers simply, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So love God with your entire being and life. Love your neighbor, and also in there is love yourself. These three loves characterize the life of someone who is already experiencing part of the life that will characterize the age to come. The life that we will live in God's kingdom is based on these three loves. I imagine Jesus nodding here and then saying, Do this, and you will live. Do this and you will live. Because eternal life is found not just in knowing the commandments but in doing the commandments. Those who live out their love of God, of others, and of self in that order show that they have been impacted by the kingdom of God. So then they will have the capacity to receive that promised inheritance that Jesus offers us. That promised inheritance that the expert was asking about a life in fellowship with God and others forever. Now, this could have been the end of the conversation, but we see that the expert wasn't satisfied. And so we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Originally, when the expert began this questioning of Jesus, he was trying to test Jesus' knowledge. But now, after being challenged by Jesus a little bit to actually live things out and not just know them, he wants to trap Jesus in this controversial question Who is my neighbor? Like most societies, first century Judaism was ordered by boundaries with specific rules regarding how Jews should treat Gentiles and Samaritans, how priests should relate to Israelites, how men should treat women, and so on. The boundaries allowed for certain groups to establish their positions, their power, their privilege, much like today. So maintaining these boundaries was vital to their social order. And it was seen as a religious duty to keep these boundaries. So the expert here is trying to trick Jesus into saying something that will cause others to question his knowledge and authority. Because Jesus is no dummy, though, he knows what the expert is trying to do, and so he doesn't answer him outright. He tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was notoriously dangerous. It descended nearly 3,300 feet in 17 miles. It was very steep. And at points it ran through these narrow passes and that, that combined with this, this difficult terrain offered easy hiding places for bandits. So Jesus is painting a realistic story here. And he goes on to say, A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now no reason is given for the priest doing this. I don't know if the priest had somebody he really needed to visit. I don't know if he was going and doing something very, very important. But really, in the end, we know that no reason justifies his neglect for the person in need. And then, in the same way, we see that a Levite, when he came to the place, saw the man in need and passed by also on the other side. Now, Levites were also religious figures assisting in temple services, and so the assumption is that if anyone is going to help, it's going to be one of these two religious types. But then we see that they don't help, but then someone else comes along. A Samaritan came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritan went to the man and bandaged his wounds, presumably making bandages out of his own clothing, and then poured his own wine on the man's wounds to disinfect them, and then pours his own oil as a soothing lotion on those wounds. And then the man put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, two denarii, which was about two days' wages at that time, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This Samaritan man completely cared for the broken-down traveler in every way that he possibly could, sharing what he had to bring the man comfort and healing. Now, this is impressive in and of itself, that he would do all of these things, but then if we understand the relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritans at that time, then it makes it even more poignant. The Samaritans were regarded by the Jewish people as unclean, because they were descendant of, descendants of mixed marriages. Basically, they weren't fully Jewish, so they were unclean and unworthy. Unworthy. So by depicting the Samaritan as the hero of this story, Jesus is in one statement demolishing all of the boundary expectations that the Jewish people had. Jesus is saying that social position, whether it's race or religion or where one lives, doesn't count when considering who your neighbor is. No stereotypes, no generalized assumptions go into considering your neighbor. Now, the Jewish people's disdain for the Samaritans is even seen when Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the Jewish expert, what does he say when he replies? He says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even admit to himself. He couldn't even say out loud that it was the Samaritan that did it. But in his answer there, he gets at the heart of describing a neighbor. A neighbor is someone who has mercy on another individual. It's not so much about the other person who is our neighbor, but it's about what's within you. Are you the neighbor who can see beyond those stereotypes and those assumptions of the world to see someone's sacred worth? in episode 195, which aired on May 9th of 1969. It was a hot day in the neighborhood, and Mr. Rogers was cooling his feet in a wading pool. Officer Clemens happened to be walking by, and Mr. Rogers invited him to share his towel and dip his feet into the pool with him. At that time in our country's history, White people did not want people of color swimming in their swimming pools. At a segregated hotel, individuals of every color were swimming in the pool, and the manager of the hotel went out and told them to get off of his private property and even poured cleaning chemicals into the water in an attempt to get the people of color to leave. Now to Fred, that was absolutely ridiculous. Really simply having Officer Clemens, a man of color, on the television show was a statement in and of itself. But then in that cultural climate, when that was going on with the swimming pools, for Mr. Rogers to show his feet next to the feet of Officer Clemens in a wading pool, and Fred saying, hmm... Cool water on a hot day. Fred was making a very specific statement there. Everyone was his neighbor. Often we try to make it difficult. But Mr. Rogers just did it. He just loved people. He was a neighbor to anyone who tuned in. And they felt the love and the connection from him through the airwaves. He showed us that loving people doesn't have to be hard. We make it hard because we don't want to do it, but it doesn't have to be hard. In fact, being someone's neighbor is extraordinarily simple see the person, have mercy on the person. And treat them as if there is a little bit of God living within them. The expert in Jewish scripture asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is all you have to do. See the person, have mercy, and treat them as if they have God within them. It's living out the gospel in our daily lives, in small ways and in big ways. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Let people see Jesus in the way that you are a neighbor to others. It can be simple, it can be smiling and saying hi and having a conversation with someone or it can be big statements of love and care for the other. When Fred would give a speech, whether it was a commencement speech or even his speech for the Emmy, his Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award, he would say, from the time you were very little, you've had people who have smiled you into smiling, people who have talked you into talking, sung you into singing, loved you into loving. Let's just take some time to think of those extra special people, he would say. Some of them may be right here. Some may be far away. Some may even be in heaven. No matter where they are, deep down you know they've always wanted what's best for you. They've always cared about you beyond measure and encouraged you to be the best within you. Let's think about them for one minute. I'm going to time you, he said. So now, as we close out this series, as, let us think, as we think of what it means to be a neighbor to someone, Let us think of those who have first been a neighbor to us in those big ways and in those very, very simple ways. Let's take some time to think of those extra special people. For one minute, I'll time us. Thank you, God, for the people that we have just named in our hearts. Now let us go and do likewise. Amen.